0: Good morning, if you'll please stand with us. Really? Yeah.
1: Psalm 18, beginning in verse 25. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. Amen? Amen. Amen. It is so good to be with the people of God. Amen? Amen? While you're standing, if you will, take a moment and welcome those around you. We have some visitors this morning. Make them feel welcomed and just say hello to people you know as well. All right, if you will return to your seats, you may be seated. Welcome to Northside Baptist Church. We're so glad that you're here. I am so glad to be back with you. Thank you for the prayers. We are all feeling much better. And, uh, man, I can't imagine how people just choose to stay away from the body of Christ. Like, man, I want to be here. I want to be part of the people of God and the movement of God and the work of God. And it's always good to be able to worship with You, If this is your first time with us and I do know we have some visitors and it can be a little overwhelming sometimes when you visit a new church, we're thankful that you're here. We try to keep it simple. Um, And so one way that would help us, if you would let us know this is your first time, um, there's a QR code in the bulletin. You can fill out just a couple simple questions online or there's a connection card out in our lobby. If you could just fill that out. It helps me with names because I'm really bad with names Um, I can remember faces, but names, not so much. And so that would be helpful. We promise we won't harass you or make your life more miserable. Um, We just want to be a blessing to you. We want to pray for you any way that we possibly can. When God's Word, it tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. So this morning, I want to rejoice for a moment, and then we want to just be mindful of Uh, one particular family in our church who is grieving right now. Let's first start with the rejoicing, because that's what it says to do first. If you look in the bulletin, you see that our goal for Lottie Moon was $8,000. As of this morning, we have raised $10,874. Let's rejoice. The Bible tells us to rejoice, so let's rejoice. Mr. Richard Schenkel, he and his wife Sally had been Members here for well over a year. Richard teases me about he's still on probation. Richard likes to cut up if you don't know. Richard, for nine years, has been having to use a walker to walk. This morning, Richard walked in without his walker. Can we praise the Lord? Nine years. And he immediately thanked me in the church for praying and just encouraging him. And so let's rejoice with those who rejoice. We also want to weep with those who weep. And so I sent out a message yesterday. Most of you were probably aware that Mr. Buddy Coggins passed away yesterday morning. Mr. Buddy has been sick with cancer for well over a year, not feeling well. And so he passed away and to be, uh, I was in the hospital room and his body was there and the family was there to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. And so we know for Buddy, today's rejoicing. Yesterday was rejoicing. But we also know for the family that is grieving, we grieve with them. And so we want to grieve for his wife, Miss Florine, of, I believe she said yesterday, 69 years. That's how long they had been married. So we want to weep, weep for her, and, and her, their son was in the room, and uh, his wife, and then also in the room was their, daughter, their daughter-in-law, whose son, her husband passed away several years ago. And so we just want to weep for them. They, I believe, are going to the funeral home at 11 o'clock this morning. So sometime today, we'll get those arrangements. It will be at McCoon's, I believe is what they said, and I'll send that information out. Been members here, I think she said, for 23, 24 years. Um, Sweet couple, and uh, so just uh, be in prayer for them. Our verse this morning that we're going to pray through will be on the screen. It comes out of Psalm 18. I just read it. Now I want us to focus on it a little bit more. It says, This God. The God that the psalmist just described, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. So when we pray through the scripture. We haven't done this as, as much lately as we just leave that on the screen. And we just encourage you right where you are in your heart just to pray through that verse for about 30 seconds to a minute. And then I will pray for us. So however the Lord prompts you as you see his word, respond and cry out to him. And then I will pray For us, go to the Lord in prayer. Oh God, may the words of the psalmist, which are ultimately your words, comfort us right now. This first Sunday of 2024, remind us that your way is perfect. And your way is perfect because you are perfect. Father, right now there may be some situations, some circumstances in our life that seem far from perfect. Remind us, God, that you are the perfect one. That you have a purpose and a plan and your timing is always best. Lift our eyes to see you. This almost goes on to say that the word of the Lord proves true. And to that we say amen and amen. We have seen the truthfulness of your word, the faithfulness of your word proved over and over and over. Lord, we need a word from you today and we know you will be faithful to speak to your people once again. The psalmist says you are a shield for all those who take refuge in you. Father, you are a shield. You are the protector. You are the provider. You are, as we were talking about at the dinner table this week, you are the comforter, the one who comforts. Lord, the reality is that's who you are. The question for us is, are we coming to find refuge in you? As those who claim the name of Jesus, followers of Christ, are we bringing our burdens, our concerns? Are we laying them at your feet, offering them up to you, handing them over to you to say, Lord, I'm trusting you in this? Or Father, maybe for some of us as Christians, we're scared to come to you or we're trying to control situations, therefore we're not laying down these things to you. And Father, the reality is there are some in the room this morning, some watching online, Lord, that they have never come to you, never cried out to you, never confessed their sins to you, never called upon you as the Lord our God to save them from their sins. Not only are they not finding refuge in you, but they are far from you. But right now there is an invitation this morning that they, through the finished work of Jesus Christ, can be forgiven of their sins, saved... from their sins, delivered from their sins, and can find that refuge in you. But they must come. The invitation is there. God, we have sung, you have declared in your word how you love us. So may we come. And as we sing right now, may we give you all the majesty and the praise that is due your name. From the bottom of our hearts, we have the privilege to glorify our God. So may we do that faithfully. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, let's stand and worship together.
2: to thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to save us, and we're grateful for that. I joined together with the other believers in this sanctuary today, telling you that we're nothing without you. It's only through your grace that we're saved, and we're grateful for that. We thank you that you give us the energy and strength and knowledge to go forth and, and provide for our families and uh, that allows us to be able to minister to our families and to others. And part of that ministry is to uh, bring our tithes and offerings to the house of the Lord. That's what the scripture tells us. And I pray right now that uh, you would just bless these um, gifts and the offerings that we can then further your kingdom, Lord, by their use. It's in Jesus' name I pray and ask. Amen. you.
1: Gina, inquire. Amen. All right. So it is the first Sunday of the month. So first and second graders, you're going to stay in here. But our three, four-year-olds in kindergarten, they're going to go to Children's Church. And so if you just kind of follow the crowd, if you're new, you'll go out and turn to the left and then you'll pick them up right here to your right when you leave. If everybody else will take a copy of God's Word and turn to First Peter. 1 Peter. Peter. Chapter 2. I didn't get to preach last week. I wasn't scheduled to preach last week. Pastor Gary was scheduled to preach all along, and he did a phenomenal job. I won't be preaching next week because the Yanties will be with us, our missionaries in Ecuador, and he has extended the opportunity both to myself and Pastor Gary to preach in his pulpit. And so we're going to extend that invitation to him, and so he'll be uh, preaching next week. Um, And so I'm going to preach this morning, and I may go a little bit longer than normal, but. You can, you'll forgive me because you're a loving people. First Peter chapter 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. Would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's word? And this is God's word. It's the word of the Lord. Beloved, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You may be seated. On October 12, 2004, a book was published that has gone on according to Wikipedia to sell over 8 million copies. This book, at best has led to confusion among Christians. And at its worst, has led possibly millions astray from the truth of God's word. The book is entitled, Your Best Life Now. Seven Steps to Living at Your Full Potential. Is it possible? Is it possible to live your best life now? More than that, is it biblical? Can we right now on earth experience our best life now? Now listen, I do believe 100% that God richly blesses his children. God blesses his children. I do believe that right now you in Christ can have eternal life. That, That eternal life has already started, which means you can have abundant life. I do believe that we can absolutely know the joy and the peace and the hope and the love of Christ right here, right now. But I strongly believe it is not biblical nor scriptural to call this life your best life now. And I rejoice in that. No matter how great things may be now, this world, praise Jesus, pales in comparison to what glory's gonna be. Somebody amen. amen. Oh my goodness, it's not even close. My best life hasn't even started. Yes, I have abundant life, but the best is yet to come. So no, this isn't your best life now, and for that I'm grateful. But furthermore, what we see in scripture, what we're going to see in these two verses before us, is that you and I as Christians are not living in a world that is welcome and open to us. No, we are living in a world that is hostile towards us. How could it possibly be said in this world of hostility that this could ever be your best life? It's not possible. So no, hear me, you aren't called to live your best life here and now, but you are called to live the life of a pilgrim. Of one who is a wanderer, one who is a, a traveler, one, as Peter says, is in exile. So, beginning in verse 11, Peter starts a new section. He began section one talking about the mercy of God, he concludes section one again by talking about the mercy of God. Now, he begins a new section. And and I'm going to kind of give you a a brief overview of this. Peter goes from speaking about our relationship with other believers to now he's going to talk about our relationship with an unbelieving world. And so here's just a quick, brief outline of, of where we're going. He begins first in verse 11 by reminding them of who they are. We'll see that this morning. He then gives a brief, simple address to them about how they are to conduct themselves. We'll see that. And then what he does, and we'll unpack this over the next month, is he gives four different relational contexts that we live out the instruction of verses 11 and 12. So here's the main idea of the verses this morning. It'll appear on the screen for just a couple minutes. It is this. As exiles, know who you are inwardly, know who you are inwardly, and live an honorable life outwardly, so that others will glorify God. So here's the outline for the sermon this morning. Inward, outward, upward. Peter starts with the inward. He then addresses the outward, how we live our life. And then he speaks to the upward, the glory of God. So let's start with the inward. Peter says one word, beloved. Beloved. This is a word that Peter likes to use eight times in 1 Peter 1 and and 2 Peter, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. He wants his readers to know right off the bat as he begins this section that God loves them or that Peter loves them, but more importantly than that, God loves them. Many of you grew up watching Billy Graham crusades, right? All of you can hear Billy Graham's voice in your head right now, right? He said over and over and over what? God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Peter says, yes, you are the beloved of God. You are sons and daughters whom the Father loves. That's where he starts. So hear me, wherever you are in life, if you're a child of God, you need to understand God loves you. He loves all of his creation, but there's a special love that he has set upon his children. Now, why is that so vital to know? Why is it so vital to be reminded over and over and over again of God's love for us, most demonstrated in the cross of Jesus Christ? Why do you have to be reminded of that? Because of what he's about to say. He says, you are sojourners and exiles. Again, inward, know who you are. You're beloved by God and you're sojourners and you're exiles. In other words, you are far from home. You don't belong here, but know while you're living this life, you are loved By God, your sojourners and exiles. That's what he says. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. God's people are aliens. You're strangers. You're pilgrims. You're exiles. I love this. One of the Greek words that Peter uses here, right? Sojourners and exiles is how the ESV translates it. One of the Greek words is uh, paraoikos. Oikos means house. Para means alongside the house. So Peter is saying you as a believer, as the beloved of God, you are alongside the house. Which means you're not what? Inside the house. He says you are living in a world that's not yours. But you are living among people who do live inside the house. This is all that they know. This is what they live for. They're driven by the things of the world. This is their home. This is their best life now, because it's certainly not getting better for them. You don't live in the house, you live alongside of them. Why? Paul says because you're citizens of heaven, of the kingdom of God. You're a temporary resident, you're a pilgrim. Hear me, you're a foreigner and not a local. If you go down to Florida and you want to visit one of the beaches, first time you've ever been there, going for a family vacation, and you say, hey, we want to find the best local places. We don't want to go to Outback, we don't want to go to the name, the brand names, you want to go somewhere local, who do you go ask? You don't go ask the foreigners. You don't go ask the other tourists. They don't have a clue. You find a local. You find somebody who lives there who knows the area, and you say, hey, where can I go eat? And you hope they don't say Outback. Like, you want something local. Give me something good. So hear me. If this isn't home, and you don't belong here, and as a child of God in this world, you'll never belong here, how could this possibly be our best life now? It can't. This is a pilgrim life. And along the journey, what you and I want to be is faithful. We want to honor God. We want to enjoy his good gifts. Yes and amen, but this isn't home. Some of you have been to some amazing places. You have seen some of the most beautiful, gorgeous things that God has created, things that man has made. You've seen it. You've spent a week there, maybe a month there, maybe you were there for two months. At the end of that trip, where do you always want to go? Home. Listen, you're here. God has gifted you with many wonderful things. Enjoy them. You can use them for the glory of God, but just hear me. You're not home. This isn't home. We want to go home. We want to be with Jesus. Why? Because we are pilgrims or sojourners or exiles but then he goes on to say notice he's still focusing on the inward you as a sojourner and an exile are to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul Peter says abstain while you're a sojourner while you're an exile know you're beloved by God you are to abstain to avoid to keep away from to not partake of to abstain from what the passions of the flesh now passions aren't in and of themselves sinful passions and desires can be a good thing right a strong desire to love your wife your husband ought to be applauded that's good a strong desire to get up every morning and steve prayed to be able to provide for your family a wonderful thing the desire to open god's word and to desire after god is wonderful you're here some of you because your parents made you But you're here because you wanted to be here. You had a desire to be with the people of God. That's a beautiful thing. So desires aren't in and of themselves sinful. But the passions of the flesh, now that's to be avoided. Those are sinful desires. The desires of the flesh are natural human desires apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. They're lust of the body or lust of the eyes, sinful things that do not honor Jesus that we want to bring into our life. They are the drives and desires that oppose the fruit of the Spirit. Well, how do I know it's a sin? Well, does it oppose the fruit of the Spirit? Is it of God? Is it of the Spirit? If it's not, then it's, it's not right and it's not good and it needs to be avoided. The passions of the flesh are to be avoided. Why? So, what does Peter say? Look at this. They wage war against your soul. Does that sound like your best life now? That you have, as a believer, set apart of God, a new heart, a transformed heart, wanting to follow Jesus every step of the way, are these sinful desires that want to wage a war against you to keep you from following Jesus and to make you more like the world. Now, the word for war here means to carry on a military campaign. It'd be a lot nicer if Satan just did a one-time strike and then left you alone. Thanks. That hurt. See you later, Satan. It's not. It's a war. It's a military campaign. It's an ongoing war that's taking place in your heart. Sin and the passions of the flesh are waging an all-out war against your soul. John Owen well said, be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. Brothers and sisters, does sin destroy? Shake your head this way. We've all seen it personally, in our families, in the world. Alcohol and drugs will destroy hear me any type of sex or sexual attraction that takes place out of a permanent marital relationship between one man and one woman will destroy you you say pastor but we're dating and we love each other I don't care play with fire you'll get burned if you're tempted go find somebody in this room who engaged in extramarital sex and ask them how it benefited them they won't tell you it did it will destroy you because that's what sin, that's what sex, outside of marriage, between one man and one woman does. Gambling, addictions, pride, laziness, bitterness, and the list goes on and on and on and on. All sin will destroy you. The, the title of the sermon, is a, a, of the series, is A Living Hope in a Hostile World. Where does the hostility start? Right in here. It starts in the heart. Right now, as you're sitting here, you may not feel it, but there is a war taking place in your heart. D.L. Moody said, I have more trouble with D.L. Moody than with any man I know. Who do you have a problem with? The bigger problem is you constantly this war within us hear me the problem is not out there oh there's a problem out there but the first problem is in here we live in a we live in a society where everybody's a victim now listen there are victims there are genuinely men and women boys and girls who have been victimized hurt harmed no fault of their own there are victims our world however wants to make everybody a victim we want to blame everybody else listen You can't blame everybody for your problems. It starts here in the heart. Yes, did they contribute? Maybe, but it starts here. You have to forgive. You have to heal. You have to trust in the Lord. Listen to what R.C. Sproul writes. My life did not get complicated until I became a Christian. Before I was a Christian, I did whatever I wanted. I went along with the group and the world. When I became a Christian, I knew the war between flesh and spirit in a new way. You are at war in your heart. Peter says, you don't belong here, therefore the things of the world aren't yours. Pursue Jesus, run after Jesus. Listen to what Mary Wilson writes. I love this. We're far from home, yes, but we're not far from him. I love that. You and I are far from home, one day closer today than we were yesterday, far from home, but we're not far from the Father. We live in a world that is not our home, growing in hostility, but God is near us, His Spirit living in us. And hear me, He will provide you every day the grace, the mercy, the power that you need to fight, to war against the passions of your flesh. You're loved by God, so love Him and pursue righteousness abstain from the passions of the flesh that's inward it starts inward but now he begins to move outward he says in verse 12 keep your conduct among the gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evil they may see your good deeds peter is calling us to live an honorable or exemplary life here on earth peter uses the same word twice in this verse keep your conduct among the gentiles honorable that's the word kalos so that when they speak against you as evil doers they may see your good deeds that's kalos as the idea of honorable or good that's how we are to live our life now drop down very quickly let me show you verses 14 and 15 we'll get to this in 2 weeks or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good for this is the will of god that by doing good the summary of verse 12 11 and 12 is this abstain from evil the passage of the flesh and do that which is good it's the old battle between good and evil and as christians we are called to do good to do what is honorable to do what is right to obey god and his word but prior to christ we lived in lawlessness And lawlessness is the way of the unbeliever. The the, the unbeliever rejects God and rejects his commands. The unbeliever is ignorant of the things of God and they are rebellious towards God. But praise God, he saves us and changes us. Amen. He changes us. And so now we seek the knowledge of God. Now we desire to live obediently, to live honorable lives. He changes us and we live differently. So hear me, Christians, we ought to be. We are not always, but Lord, help us to be more consistently. We ought to be the kindest, most honest people on earth. You ought to be the most gracious person on earth, the most patient, the most trustworthy, the most loving, the most forgiving, the most self-controlled, the most selfless, the most humble, the most giving. That's who you are to be. And if any of those areas you are falling short, then you go to the Lord and you say, Lord, I'm not being faithful. Forgive me and empower me so that I can be more patient. I can be more self-controlled because we are to conduct ourselves among the Gentiles, among the unbelievers, honorably. He goes on to say, so that when they speak against you as evildoers. Huh. A living hope in a hostile world. So not only is there hostility in here, but there is hostility around us. Notice Peter doesn't say, so that if they speak, but when they speak against you as evildoers. Does that sound like your best life now? That Peter says, evildoers will speak against you in an evil way in a malicious way they will seek to slander your name the first century christians endured all sorts of slander and accusations they were called cannibals for eating the lord's supper because they talked about eating the body and the blood of christ not literally but they talked about that and so they assumed well they're eating their own children they're eating real flesh and blood They were called atheists. Imagine that, Christians. Worshipers of the one true God called atheists because they refused to worship the Roman pagan gods. They were accused of incest because they called one another brothers and sisters. Misunderstood and misaligned. So how do you silence the accusers and the mockers? Right now, if you have somebody in your circle that seeks to be against you because you're a believer, how do you silence them? Peter says you live honorably. In fact, you live so honorably that no accusation that they make against you can stick. Maybe they accuse you of being dishonest. Where's the evidence? If you're living an honest life, there's no evidence. They can't go to the boss and show evidence of where you've been dishonest because you have lived in an honorable way. It's, easily, it's easy to prove False accusations in that way. Now, unfortunately, sometimes you got to go to the courts. you got to work your way through. But even the courts, they're supposed to have evidence. If they don't have evidence, then the accusations can't stick. So how do you silence your accusers? Notice it's not by standing up for yourself. It's not by seeking vengeance. It's by living in an honorable way. You point people to Jesus through your honorable conduct. And when you blow it, as we all will, then you model humility. You confess it, you repent of it, you go to the Lord, you ask his forgiveness, and then maybe you have to go to an individual and ask their forgiveness. Hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, and followers of Jesus aren't supposed to do A, B, and C, and in my sin I failed, and I'm confessing that, and I want you to know I'm praying and working through that. We don't make excuses, we live with integrity. Why? He says that they may see your good deeds. The Greek word for see means more than just look at. It means studying, looking at for a long time. Some of you in this room like to people watch, a.k.a. stare. You like to stare at people. You're just fascinated by people. Some of you, maybe you're anxious about people, and so you're just always watching your surroundings. Some of you just like to be nosy, and so you stare at people, right? We like to stare. Hear me. The world is staring at you as a Christian. The world is watching you. Peter says it, they're studying you. I love what Karen Jobs writes. One trait of human nature seems to be that people watch strangers more closely. You watch a stranger more closely than you do your spouse. So I walked into this building this morning and my wallet is where it almost always is, in my back pocket. Because I'm not worried about you trying to take my wallet. When I go home, it's in my back pocket. But when I go into a public place like we went to a couple of weeks ago when we went to watch Kentucky beat North Carolina. When I go into a public place, my wallet goes from my back pocket to my front pocket. And my hands typically stay in my pocket, why? Because I know where my wallet and my phone are. Because I don't know those people and I don't know if I can trust them. Hear me, in the world's eyes, you are a stranger. You are different than them. You think differently, you believe differently, you live differently. And so they watch us, and they will speak evil against you. They will size you up to determine if what you say you believe is what you actually believe, which is evidenced in how you live your life. They want to know. you going to tell the same kind of jokes the unbelievers tell? They want to know, are you going to say the same type of things that unbelievers say? They want to know, when hardship comes to you, are you going to fall apart like an unbeliever? Or are you even in your grief and pain going to say, listen, I'm a hot mess, but I'm still trusting in my God. I'm still trusting in God. How do we respond? Inward, outward, living our lives in an honorable way, and then lastly, upward. Why? That they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Hear me. Why do you keep your life in an honorable way among unbelievers? Is it it so people will like you? Are you seeking to follow Jesus so that the crowd will like you? Is it so that that you'll be popular? So that you'll be an influencer? You'll be successful? Do you follow Jesus to fit in? Do you follow Jesus to be cool? Is it because by following Jesus and living honorably, nobody will ever say a slanderous word against you? Well, Peter just told you that ain't going to happen. So why do you live honorably? Listen to me. Please hear me. Middle school students, high school students, college students, please, please hear what I'm about to say. If you are committed to following Jesus Christ, and by following Jesus Christ, I am not talking about the Jesus of your imagination or your invention or your own creation. I'm talking about the Jesus of, God's, of the Bible, the Son of God. I'm talking about following Jesus and his teachings and his ways. Hear me. If you are committed to following Jesus, then you will never be popular in this world. And you better be okay with that. If you want to be popular, it will not happen if you genuinely follow Jesus. Now, 30 years ago, maybe I could have got away with that. In my context, not in 2024. Much different world than I grew up in. So, if you want to be popular with the world, you're not going to follow Jesus. If popularity or fitting in or the pleasures of this world is what you really want, then you don't really want Jesus chiefly and supremely in your life. And only you can make that decision. Are you willing to be all in on following Jesus? And if that means you're not popular at school, so be it. Because you're not accountable to them. You're accountable to God. That choice is yours. So why are we then committed to following Jesus? Why am I, as your pastor, calling you as middle school, high school, college students, and all of you to risk your jobs and your life and your livelihood in a culture growing in hostility? Why am I calling you to live differently than the world? What does Peter say? That they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, there's some... Disagreement on what Peter means by the day of visitation. Let me just simplify it by saying I think it's referring to a second coming. God visited us the first time when Christ was incarnate. He's coming again. I think it's referring to the second coming. So when Jesus is revealed, when he comes again, hear me, he will receive the glory in both salvation and in judgment. So Peter's saying live your life not in a holier-than-thou attitude, but just follow Jesus Live in an honorable way. Why? So that people will see Christ in you. That they will see the God of the Bible. And hopefully, as they see your sincerity, and you're walking alongside of them, and you're pointing them to Jesus, hopefully, when they see that, they will repent of their sins, believe upon the name of Jesus, and they will be saved so that when God comes back, They, like you, when he comes for his bride, will be part of those who glorify Jesus. Amen. Amen. Lost people need you and I to be authentic followers of Jesus. Not perfect. It's not possible. But authentic. They need that. They need to see Jesus in you because maybe when they see you and Christ in you, they will come to give their life to Jesus. Alexander McLaren wrote, the world takes its notion of God most of all from the people who say that they belong to God's family. They read us a a great deal more than they read the Bible. In fact, they see us. They only hear about Jesus Christ. They're reading you, brothers and sisters. That's a lot of pressure, I know. They're reading you. Is it real? Is it authentic? But listen, God will also receive the glory even in judgment. So for those who you seek to live out the gospel life, you seek to point them to Christ and they reject it or they mock you or as has happened throughout history, they put to death Christians. Here's what Peter's saying. Even those who reject here and mock here, when Christ comes, Guess who still gets the glory? Jesus. For every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. You do not know who will believe and who won't. Here's what you know. At the end of the day, everybody is giving God the glory he deserves. Everybody. You just live honorably, live obediently, live declaring Jesus Christ so that as many people as possible might come to bow their knee now before it's too late. But everybody one day is bowing. So you just keep being faithful. So then, as we conclude, are we to be men and women consumed with our best life now? Or are men and women concerned about living the pilgrim way faithfully? Those who know we're far from home, but not, but not far from the God who saved us and changed us. Jonathan Edwards wrote, God is the highest good of the reasonable creature, and the enjoyment of him is the only happiness with, with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better Than the most pleasant accommodations here. So last Sunday, while many of you were here gathered to worship, we were at home. Better over the stomach bug, but just did not want to share our germs with you. You can thank me later. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. (laughs) Thought we'd keep those germs at home. So I intentionally, I was feeling better. I decided we needed some groceries from the store. I decided I would do a grocery pickup and I would schedule it for the same time the pastor Gary was preaching so that I could listen to a sermon in the peace and quiet of a car. And Pastor Gary's soothing South African voice. Thank you, PG. I needed that greatly. A sermon, by the way, which I pray convicted you because I know it convicted me. So I'm listening to the sermon by design and I'm driving to the store. And along the way, I don't have this opportunity often, I pass many churches. And my heart was encouraged to see the number of cars in a parking lot, worshiping the Lord our God. But along the way, I also passed several businesses and grocery stores. And those parking lots, too, had many cars in them. And passing these two very different scenes, the first one encouraging, the second one burdening me, I realized, man, what a contrast. Some believers, some following Jesus, evidenced by their gathering with other believers to glorify God. Some unbelievers not following Jesus, evidenced by their living life as if he didn't exist. Now I know that there were many people who were not in church last Sunday. If you asked them if they're a Christian, would say yes. But by their life, the fact that though they may say they're believers with their mouth, there's no evidence of Jesus actually being any part of their life. And yes, I know that just because you are in church doesn't make you a Christian. I get that. I understand that. You may claim to be here. You may be here on Sunday claiming to know Jesus, but Monday through Saturday, you live like Jesus is no part of your life. I get that, but still a contrast. This message was already on my heart and my mind. And I thought, man, there's so much work to be done, is there not? Praise God for the millions and millions of people who love Jesus all over the world, and it's evidenced by them gathering with the people of God. But there are millions and millions and millions of people who don't know Jesus. Who live as if there is no God. And one day, they will confess that God is who God said he was. So what's your job and what's mine? It's to know who you are. Beloved, a sojourner, an exile. Inwardly, every day, waging war against the flesh. Knowing that you are to live your life in an honorable way outwardly. So that all the people out there might one day be in here. So all the people out there that care only about self may one day through the transformational work of the Holy Spirit glorify the God that we serve. Your life matters. God wants to use you on mission for Him. And He says, just conduct yourselves in an honorable way. Live the life Walk the walk so that all people may glorify the God who saved us. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? Father, your word is beautiful and glorious and life transformative. But your word is also convicting and it is challenging. And at times it is hard. God, you have saved us. Thank you for saving us. But God, you have a purpose for us. You remind us who we are. Thank you for that. May we rest in that. But you also call us to conduct ourselves among pagans, among unbelievers, in an honorable way. So Lord, here's my prayer. And it starts, it starts with me. And oh God, how you convicted me of that last Sunday. Tell what comes out of my mouth. It's coming from my heart. God what kind of representative have we been for Jesus Christ? What kind of representative are we presently for Jesus Christ? And until our heart is right with you, until we begin to take in your word regularly and we gather with your people and we're praying and we're walking in the spirit and we're filled with the spirit and we're under the control of the Holy Spirit. Until we begin to do that, we cannot live out this transformative life that a world needs to see. Lord, if we claim the name of Jesus, then may our life back that up. And if we're claiming the name of Jesus, and we don't care if our life backs that up, then God, my prayers we'll stop claiming the name of Jesus, because we're not being a good representative. Speak to our hearts. It's all, God, the, the point of this message is not to beat us up, but it's just to remind us, God, of your grace and your mercy, because none of this is possible apart from you working in us. So help us to be. Help us to know who we are, to be who you've called us to be. God, so that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, and now before it's too late. And God, if anybody here does not know you as Lord and Savior, may they give their life to you right now. Lord, we need you. That's what we're getting ready to sing. May we, whatever the circumstance, whatever the struggle, whatever the sin, oh Lord God, may we confess it right now as we sing this song. Father, may we, may you deal with us. Work in us powerfully. May we respond with confession and repentance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? Let's worship together. The altar's open if you need to come and pray. Lord, I
0: come I confess Now we hear I find my rest Without you I fall Of mine.
1: For just a moment, let me just say, I know I just said a lot of stuff, but um, if you, for any reason, are struggling with something, dealing with something, and you're feeling the weight of that, can I encourage you just to share that with somebody? Let somebody into your life who will encourage you and pray for you, because I'm telling you, as one who experienced the power of god this week and one who saw a group of people in a small room on wednesday night gather around me and lay hands on me and pray for me i'm telling you it makes the world difference and when we try to carry things on our own it is overwhelming and if that's you the spirit of god wants you to depend upon him and to depend upon some other people and begin to walk with him in righteousness and truth So I want to encourage you to do that. Um, Announcements for tonight. uh, We go back to our normal Sunday night activities. So we got Awana, we got youth, we got our adult Bible study uh, right in here. So you want to be part of that. Several announcements just to go through quickly. We do have the Yanceys with us next week. There's a QR code there uh, that you can scan in a couple uh, Saturdays. We have our men's breakfast on January 20th. We do have an upcoming Ecuador trip this summer. So there's an informational meeting, those details are in the bulletin. We have another ministry opportunity at the Children's Home. That information is in the bulletin. So make note of some of those dates. We got sisterhood groups, some Northside Mission t-shirts. You know, if you're planning to go serve the Children's Home or you're going on a mission trip, we want you to take a t-shirt. We want to give that to you. If you want to give a donation for that to help with missions, you um can do that. So there's all sorts of announcements we want you to be aware of. Let me encourage you to come back to gather with the people of God, either to serve or to come just learn um, and sit under some teaching tonight. And that teaching will start at six o'clock with David Mazden leading that. Pastor Gary, if you'll come, if you'll stand, let's be dismissed by quoting uh, the Great Commission.
2: Let's all say this to the glory of God.